Welcome to the Trajectory Africa. In this episode, track six, our guest artist is Hilda Mora. Hilda is the founder and CEO of Pazesha, a holistic digital financial infrastructure company powering embedded finance to SMEs and institutions across Africa. She is an award-winning entrepreneur and author who has more than 10 years of experience in fintech regulation and working with multinationals such as Coca-Cola. Prior to launching Pazesha, she founded Wezatele, a Kenyan fintech startup that was acquired in 2015. She has been named a top 30 African innovator by Quartz Africa and an Obama Foundation leader. Picking up on the previous conversation with Boucher Nisi of Seisha Capital about the interplay between tech-enabled SMEs and tech startups, I chat to Hilda about how she's building a tech company that connects SMEs to capital. Hilda, welcome to The Trajectory Africa. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tayo. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's been a while, and I'm really grateful that you were able to make the time. I know it's really tough (laughs) as a founder of a growing startup, so appreciate your willingness to be here. So uh, to your point, we've actually known each other for a while. I think I met you for the first time during my very first trip to Nairobi as the executive director of AfriLabs. You were a key member of the research team at iHub, which was an AfriLabs member. It's funny looking back, I had no idea you'd worked at Coca-Cola and started a business prior to joining the iHub. Back then, I thought of you as a researcher. But in retrospect, maybe research was just a stop Mm. (laughs) on what started as and continues to be a solidly entrepreneurial journey. And as it turns out, you leveraged your corporate experience to launch your last two companies. And you're one of the pioneers of empowering SMEs in terms of tech-enabled supply chain management, distribution, and finance. And in some ways, this says a lot about how internal narratives shape perception. But in any case, I'm all caught up. And I'm really happy again to have the opportunity to chat with you about funding for SMEs, but also for startup founders. So with that, let's jump straight in. So Hilda, can you please share with us why you started Pazesha and what problem or problems your company was created to solve? Yeah, I've been in the fintech space and pretty much entrepreneurship space for more than 15 years now. I mean, looking at it, my journey actually started in iHub Research. You know, the great thing about that experience was we were not just doing research, but we were also innovating and building products. And and really, my journey there, just to to take you back a bit, uh, was using research as a tool to really understand problems at depth. And and then once you understand those problems, is then build solutions that are relevant in the market. And and, and I have research provided that platform. So my journey actually began there, my, my entrepreneurship journey began there to really understand how to problem solve and, and in the end, build scalable solutions that you can be able to see the impact that gets out of that. So for me, this is just a continuation of the journey I have started in terms of fintech, and that's where my passion lies. And for Pezesha, it was pretty much now taking all the, the learnings that I have had in the past and saying, where is the biggest gap as far as providing fintech solutions go? And the opportunities that presented themselves was in the inequalities that we experience as African ecosystems, where I believe the intersection of fintech to bring an enabling environment is really key. Basically, what it does, it catapults all the the efficiencies and and drive inclusion and prosperity for everyone. So this is really the reason behind why I started Pezesha to solve for inequalities. And and of course, these are the hard problems that we have in Africa. And, And if we solve those problems using the power of fintech and what it brings on the table, I do believe that we can dream of not only just financial inclusion, but prosperity as the end game. 
Very well stated. And I'd like to get into the details of how you resolve that inequality and create enabling environments. But I'd like to ask you if you could talk a little bit about what those inequalities are and what an enabling environment would look like. Yeah, so we at Pazesha, we're solving a, a working capital problem. So basically what that really means is there's a big gap, there's a big gap in terms of the businesses that are being excluded from the formal financial system. I mean, in sub-Saharan Africa, we're talking of a financing gap of $320 billion plus. In Kenya alone, where we are headquartered, we're talking of $19 billion. Again, now we're scaling across East Africa and West Africa. So you can already imagine countries like Nigeria, we're talking of more than $170 billion financing gap, almost 10 times bigger than any other market that we are imagining. So so for us, this is right. a very key problem. And, and we believe that these working capital problems are very complex. And of course, the, the fintech aspect of things can solve that problem. But then the question is, how? How is that problem being solved? It's a multifaceted issue. And of course, we know SMEs are the biggest job contributors of this country. And so for us as Pezesha, we do understand that if we can be able to solve for this gap, we can definitely create more opportunities for everyone and, and not just jobs. Businesses can grow, thrive and prosper. And the economy at large in the end continues to grow and impact many, many other people as well. And their lives change in a, in a much better place. Indeed. So let's talk about how Pazesha is solving that problem specifically. So you are building a scalable architecture for SME lending or an ecosystem for such. And as far as I understand it, you have three main products, Patascore, Pazesha SaaS, and Pazesha Marketplace. Can you talk a little bit about each and what problem each solves for your customers? Yeah. So before I talk about the products, let me just first say that these products are actually what completes our value chain. So we've just named mm. them as part of our value chain. So if I start looking at where we uh, start that process of origination and getting quality SMEs that we have in our marketplace, we basically score them and where the data doesn't exist because information asymmetry is one of the biggest issues. It's actually the root cause of why majority of the SMEs I've just described, the underserved and the excluded, why, of course, banks are not penetrating into those segments. Now, we have been able to solve that information asymmetry issue where we can be able to build digital tools and standardize and digitize the world of these SMEs. And then, of course, use that data to make sense and create a credit score for them. And, and that's where our credit scoring technology, Patascore, comes in data-driven approach, API-based, we pull data from all sources that we can be able to access with the consent of the customer and build a digital data wallet for them. And that wallet then allows them to start building their credit history where it doesn't exist. And for most of our customers, actually, they build their credit history for the first time ever with Possession. So we're very excited about that. And of course, continuously, they are able to access not just credit, but other financial services because their credit history continues to be strengthened based on our analytics that Patascore produces. Again, if a customer doesn't have a credit history, Patascore also educates them on how to build a positive credit score. And, and so we, we aggregate data, we make sense of it, and we build credit history with our technology Patascore 
and of course, the second layer is how then do we allow that SME to be able to access credit? And so this is where our trust infrastructure comes in very handy. And, and of course, we then leverage a collaborative approach where we partner with different institutions that want to enable credit. And, and of course, we are talking of some of our partners like Twigger Foods, Jumia, Market Force, and, and others that we've integrated to then provide embedded credit. And so that's the layer where we are able to then not only just allow these businesses to access credit and, and buy products, but also to grow their business and match them with affordable credit from the lenders or our capital providers. And then, of course, the third layer, which, and, and sorry, just to go back a bit, the second layer is what we describe as the possession as a service. And so we've been able to package that component and, and launch with different players or partners that are looking to embed credit. So anyone or any institution can be able now to enable credit more than ever before because of this engine that we have built. And some of the partners I've already mentioned are already scaling with us. Others are already using the back of our infrastructure to enable our lending in their business. And that's not their core business. So they let Pezesha to do that. And then lastly, our, our marketplace is really where now we, we have the opportunity to show our innovation to our capital providers. And, and then we list and showcase all the credit scored SMEs who are qualified to go to the next level and they can also participate and invest in them. What, what that does, it allows us to have a shared economy where we can reduce the cost of capital, lower the interest rates, and of course the customer can come back and continue to grow the business without being hurt by very expensive loans. So, so in a nutshell, that's those three products really describe our value chain. And in the end, it's what forms our possession ecosystem. Really, really fascinating. So I'd like to go back to this, this aspect of, of trust, but I think it's really notable that for many of your customers, you're providing them a credit history for the very first time and the way in which this credit history unlocks other financial services, because obviously financial leverage is important to be able to, to grow a business and increase productivity. So the service that you're providing is quite fundamental to the, the growth and prosperity of your customers. So the, the last point that you made about, let's call it the win-win-win aspect of the ecosystem, you're creating a system that generates uh, a virtuous cycle of, of value creation. But what enables your ecosystem to work properly? Because you're dealing with a lot of complex processes and systems that all have to work together. So what are the elements or the aspects that make that system work well? Yeah, that's a very hard question because essentially there's no uh, one size fits all. It's kind of like you have to build your own value chain as you continue to, to scale because you're solving for fragmented value chains as well. I think what we've seen as the, the key elements as we've built this trust lending infrastructure is, of course, a very strong origination layer. That is where we believe that our core business is. If we don't build a strong origination layer of customers that are quality, then we will, of course, not be able to attract capital. We will not be able to scale. We will not be able to ensure that there is a network effect in the end. So we've really 
focused on sharpening that layer. And, and, I, and we believe where we are is, and the success of our business is, is also because we've built a very strong foundation and origination of quality customers that capital has been able to attract. And of course, the right capital that is affordable to our customers, and they've been able to come back and grow with us and, and hence the network effect for everyone who is part of our ecosystem. The second aspect would be the digitization of the workflows. As I mentioned earlier, most of these SMEs who are underserved, the biggest challenge is information asymmetry. Now, the reason for that is because they are mainly operating in a traditional manner. They don't have any formal structures compared to a big SME who has, let's say, a point of sale in a restaurant and they can key in all the records of their customers as they walk in and out. Now, the kind of customers we are targeting, these SMEs don't have almost anything. They are recording things in a book. The most they have is a very simple point of sale that is customized for them and, of course, still not standardized in the end. So the digitization of these workflows is very key, and I think that's one of the hardest parts to crack. And so we've done a lot of work so far to give these SMEs and empower them with digital tools, a point of sale where they can track their sales, their inventory, their orders, their payments, and start to build that credit history for them. It has taken a lot of time. We still haven't cracked it, to be honest. As I said, when you there's a lot of nuances as you continue to understand the different segmentation of SMEs, even in that particular sector or segment we are addressing. And so those are just some of the challenges we're continuing to learn as we solve on the go. The other part is our, our robust credit scoring system. Credit scoring, again, is, is one of those pieces that drive the engine of that process of determining the credit worthiness of a customer. So it's important to continuously iterate and have data that feeds in to inform the models, to sharpen the predictability of the behavior of a customer, and not just understand their ability to repay, but also their willingness to repay in the end. The other aspect, I think part of our, our belief is without financial education, then credit becomes almost meaningless. You, if you give people financial inclusion mm. and you don't give them financial help, then you cannot help them to achieve financial wealth. And so we've made that to be a very key component that we believe is not only just going to, to bring that health aspect of financial inclusion, but also is going to drive inclusion, especially for women and youth, in a way that they think about their long-term growth when it comes to their credit history. I mean, last but not least, of course, standardization of processes, just making sure that from the start to the end, it's clear how those processes flow, digitizing those processes and making sure that uh, the customer has a good experience. And, and of course, any other aspect would be external factors, including regulation, that really plays a big role in determining the success of building this lending infrastructure to grow and scale um, across multiple countries. So it sounds like your secret sauce is is one that was hard earned because all of these origination, digitization, credit scoring, standardization of process, and then taking into account all of the external factors would be robust workflows in and of themselves singly, but you're bringing them all together, which is yes. really impressive and admirable. Now, to your point about trust, 
there's a way in which I'm sure it's embedded throughout the ecosystem, but I'm sure that having high quality customers in the origination layer is a great start. But how do you think about embedding trust throughout the ecosystem? Yeah, so I think trust is a hard one, to be honest. It's it's something that we continuously are thinking about and solving as we continue to grow. But where we are right now, I think one of the biggest drivers that has really helped us to build this trust has been the regulatory approval that we got from the Capital Markets Authority, especially now when there is a negative impact of COVID on the economy. We managed to get this regulatory approval in the midst of that. So we believe that this approval and not only just highlights our commitment to earn the trust of all key stakeholders, of course, within the digital ecosystem, and of course, also the capital markets. And, and that is really the end game. We are deepening the, the, the capital markets. So if we are not able to earn the trust there locally and globally, then there is a problem. So this is where we have really harnessed that trust. The regulator putting a rubber stamp and saying, we have given Pezesha the blessings to do business. We trust their infrastructure. We have audited it and, and we believe that it's right for the people and the, the stakeholders that engage with it. So that is the first layer. Of course, within our products, we've continued to enhance how we treat customers, especially their data. We don't share any data with external parties. We follow the data protection laws locally and globally, just to make sure that the customer understands what we're doing with the data. Of course, education has been a big component in earning that trust as well. So when I talk about financial education, it's not just educating them about our products, it's also educating them about all the processes. What are we doing with their data? What does it mean for Pezesha in terms of our mission, our goals, and, and how does it impact them as well? And we have to do that education to all the stakeholders. So my team is, is very well equipped and talented to continue to educate all the stakeholders that work with us. And of course, maintaining the high standards of governance. We have a very capable team, board and other players or partners that support us. And that governance has also helped us to harness that trust and, and transparency as we continue to de-risk the entire value chain for our stakeholders. So we are excited about the process of how we've earned trust. And as I said, this is a continuous process. Of course, having a great team, I'll say we have a badass team in Pezesha, has really contributed to that process of earning <laughs> trust. Yes, it definitely sounds like you have a sophisticated and multi-layered approach to this. Everything from being a sanctioned mm -hmm. player in terms of regulation, educating your customers, being transparent to, to your customers and your uh, stakeholders, having appropriate governance, and of course, having a, a kick-ass team. <laughs> never hurts at all. Yeah. So something that you mentioned earlier that I'd like to drill down a little bit on. So fundamentally, Pazesha is offering to basically giving SMEs the opportunity to focus on their core business and optimize them. And it's interesting because in some of the research I did for Chasing Outliers, which is a report on early stage investing that I co-published in January, something that we heard is that startups often, at least on the continent, often have to, to your point, build their own value chains. And sometimes this happens not because they set out to do that, as you did, but because they're trying to solve problem E, but to solve problem E, they've got to solve all the other 
problems to execute that. And so what you end up having is is startups that are building their own value chains and infrastructure to solve uh, the problem that they'd set out to solve. But what I think is really interesting about what you're doing is you're taking the load in building the ecosystem so that your customers don't have to. But I would imagine there are some, maybe some of the larger SMEs who might say, or, or, or maybe some of your stakeholder customers who might say, oh, well, you know, I, I can do it. I can do it on my own. I can just hire a team and do. So for, for that argument, what would you say to customers who think they can tackle what you're doing or some element of what you're doing? Yeah, it's one of those things that for us is about the long-term play. Let me, let's even start with institutions, and then I will go to customers. I think institutions, let's say banks that have really tried to do what we are doing, I think it's going to take time to build this infrastructure. They can, for sure, they can build it, uh, no matter how much time it takes them. <laughs> but I think the key aspects is just making sure that all these layers speak to each other. It takes time to figure those pieces. It has taken us four and a half years, Tayo, to, to figure out those pieces mm. um, and make it work, you know? And, and so it's, it's really an iteration process. And sometimes even just having enough resources is not enough. Having the right team, understanding the customers, understanding the, their problems, and, and of course, understanding how this infrastructure fits in, in, in all those layers, liquidity, data and the other layers I've mentioned before. So so I think for the institutions, there's a lot of work to be done. Just building an infrastructure in itself is not an end. The key thing is also to think about, okay, what else can you provide as value, you know, now that you have this infrastructure? And so for our case, for example, we have introduced embedded financing that allows anyone or any institution to enable credit and be a fintech if they want to, and focus on their core business. And so we have enabled so many supply chain partners to be able to do that. And, and in most cases, you will never hear about Pazesha. We are at the back of it. And we are just enabling all their credit, we're enabling all their lending. And, and so as value chains continue to streamline and consolidate, especially because of the current environment across Africa, we believe that such solutions will be very, very vital and, and really the future of bringing productive credit. Now, if, if a big institution is going to spend a lot of time to build all these APIs and, and start to integrate with all these partners, uh, possibly their legacy systems and their traditional way of operating might not allow them to do that as quickly and agile as we can as Pezesha. And so we are asking for collaboration. And that's why I think the solution here is, is collaboration. And really fintechs and banks and, and other players who have been there to collaborate, to just grow this in a much bigger way. For the customers, I think most of the SMEs who are not coming to possession, of course, they could be going to the banks or microfinance institutions or other alternative financial institutions that are very expensive. <laughs> and so it's, it's really also about... Yes, they have the tools and they have the, the resources, the security, the collateral. But at what cost are they getting the financial services they are getting that eventually will hurt their business? And so where Pezesha comes in is to provide efficiencies throughout the entire value chain so that we can lower the cost of lending and we can also lower the same cost to everyone who is involved in the value chain. Now, if the SME who is able to provide collateral to the bank 
and go and get a bigger loan at a much more expensive price or put out their assets and security that essentially also might limit their business growth. So there's quite a lot of other things to think about. What is that process entailing? Does it limit their growth? Does it limit their ability to access other services? And I think that's where we come in. We are not only just providing credit for the long term, of course, we're looking at this infrastructure offering much more value to the customer, not just in terms of credit to their suppliers, but also they can now be able to define their credit history in a much bigger way to even access loans from any institution and choose and now have choice who do they go for because they have a better price that also helps their business to grow at the same time. So I think that is really the the ultimate goal. But of course, we believe that eventually our infrastructure will be valued to even the guys who are reaching out to those big SMEs and plug in to allow them to scale for other value additions, especially where open banking touches on providing additional innovative products where maybe banks might not be able to accelerate those kind of innovations. Yes, there's a way in which as a human, I I aspire to be the rich lady in the back. And so (laughs) I can appreciate the opportunity of providing infrastructure without necessarily leading with brand. I mean, there's a way in which historically, I guess in, in economics, you talk about the economies of scale. So the more you produce widget X, the, the cheaper and easier and more efficiently you can produce widget X. Mm-hmm. It seems like what you're describing might be the economies of a system in the sense that for your customers and stakeholders, you're reducing friction, you're lowering cost. Yeah. And you're expanding yeah. opportunity and value Absolutely. creation by the virtue of the fact that you've you've put the system together and made it to work over many, many years of iteration and experimentation in a way where everyone can succeed. So let's talk a little bit more about the mechanics of that in terms of the business model. So how does your business model work fundamentally? How does position make money? So we provide our credit scoring APIs, we provide our loan management. We provide our trust infrastructure. And so they don't have to build this from scratch. And so they pay us a license fee and also a monthly subscription fee for using our our trust infrastructure. In the future, of course, we look at other avenues with the data that we're building, with our credit scoring engine, just providing one source of truth and allowing it to scale. I think we believe there's quite a lot of opportunities there in the future. I I don't think we're there yet as our data continues to grow. We definitely see a lot of value in the analytics and the insights that we are generating out of that. No, certainly. I think the one source of truth conversation could be a, a, a very, very long one, but also potentially a very lucrative one as well. So something else I think that stood out that's relevant to this conversation from Chasing Outliers. So according to Silicon Valley norms, it's expected that tech-enabled high-growth ventures are meant to be software-focused or digitally-focused and asset-light, but there's a way in which some of these ventures on the continent can be heavier in terms of assets because of what they have to build. In your case, was there anything unexpected that you had to build along the way as you were developing your ecosystem? And did the act of building the ecosystem 
affect the trajectory of your company in any notable way? So your growth, profitability, your ability to raise capital and such. Yeah, I mean, building lending infrastructure at scale takes time. It's difficult, but not impossible for sure. Like what we've seen and witnessed in our company in the last four and a half years. So in the short term, there's quite a lot of iterations, figuring out the business model, all the layers, speaking to each other instead of building just one layer and calling that a business. And we wanted to build all the layers and let that to be an ecosystem by itself. So in the four years, of course, we've had to delay certain things. We've had to delay our fundraising. We've had to delay profitability and many other things that we would have wanted to do for the sake of building all the pipes. And so I think the biggest one has been the credit scoring engine. Just figuring that side of things has taken us a lot of time because, as I said, when you have information asymmetry issues and you don't have data to really figure out how to build that infrastructure in a way that you're generating quality customers and on the other side you're attracting affordable capital it takes time so we have had to look for patient capital at least in the early days of our business that understands our business understands our model understands the the opportunity in the future if only they are willing to be a bit patient and and so we were very blessed to have those kind of investors and they have supported us to the likes of consonance in nigeria they really supported us and they understand this kind of businesses as a VC who has really been able to also build this kind of infrastructures, not just as themselves, but also their portfolios. So for us, it was very intentional, the kind of investors and the capital we got, just to make sure that we can still be able to fulfill our mission of building the infrastructure in the right way. Because if we did that, then we are assured of scale and growth in the long term. And so right now we are at the stage where we believe we figure out these pieces in a way that we are confident and we can accelerate that growth. So we have been able to get more investors who are taking us to the next level of our growth and, and capital, of course. And we believe it's only just <laughs> the beginning of scratching the surface of our growth and, and scale. And we've just started to realize it uh, looking at all the work we've done in the past four and a half years. Uh, so again, it has been a patient journey, but the current trajectory is purely a growth and scale conversation at all levels. We are, we are scaling across East and West Africa as we speak, and, and of course, attracting the right capital, uh, not just in terms of our lending, but also in terms of our, our business operations as well. That's really exciting, Hilda. We'll definitely get the download of your capital raising journey during part two of our conversation. But for now, let's wrap up. As you probably know, here on the Trajectory Africa, what we're trying to do is map the pathway of African VC and tech. So what is the destination or destinations and how do we know we're getting there? So from your perspective as a serial founder and researcher, and I'm sure many more roles that I know nothing about, where do you think we're heading and what would be the signpost to suggest that we're on our way? Yeah, I think first things first, I think we're heading in the right direction as far as tech ecosystem is concerned. I mean, look at where we've come from. I think that is a good benchmark or mirror to look at and ask where are we coming from and where are we now? 
and what does the future look like? And of course, COVID has uh, changed a lot of things and accelerated to the better of everyone, you know, who is involved in this journey. Of course, if you look at it as an opportunity and not as a challenge. And, and so for me, from where I sit, I look at the past and when I was running with a tele, the resources that I have now, I didn't have. And I'm speaking for so many other local founders and women as well who are leading companies, of course, not so many, but the few that are there facing the same challenges of access to funding, access to you know the right talent and, and many other challenges that exist. Now, some of those challenges have been mitigated somehow, not necessarily 100%, but right now in the current world, there's quite a lot of maturity in the ecosystems. And so funding is flowing. If you look at Africa as a whole, we're seeing more success stories, we're seeing more exits, and, and of course, more VCs, more local VCs coming up. So I think all these are great signs on the wall that we are headed in the right direction. If we can be able to continue to deepen the work that is currently ongoing to mature the ecosystem fast. And this involves various stakeholders, including the entrepreneur, to participate, not just innovation hubs, not just government to work on policy and regulation, not just academia or researchers, entrepreneurs as mm-hmm. well, and many others that need to come together and say, what do we need to do to tighten our path? And I will play my role. You know, my role as an entrepreneur is to make sure that I solve for relevant problems and provide relevant solutions to the current challenges that we have. Oh, there is COVID. How do we help people or SMEs to access affordable credit so that they thrive in their business? Pezesha is doing that. So how can we help Pezesha to accelerate more businesses to be funded so that they don't die during COVID? Because if they die, that's it. Our economy goes down. Mm. They will never come back. They will never come back. So we are at the stage where it is about relevance. And so from all the stakeholders in the ecosystem, we need to start deepening that relevance. We need to ask ourselves, how do we measure success? And so my view of how do we move forward is is I think we need to start thinking of how do we put Africa on the map? How do we bring more women into the entrepreneurship life or journey? How do we then create more enabling environment, especially where Uh, fintechs are concerned to really help them because they are becoming the catalyst of a lot of what we are seeing really propelling economies across Africa. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on consolidation and collaborations to really measure the level of success that we ultimately want to achieve, either as an ecosystem or as entrepreneurs or as different stakeholders. So yeah, collaborations and really starting to measure and ask ourselves, what does that success look like for all of us? Is it going to be more success stories, more women getting funded? We have less than 1% of capital going to women in Kenya. And so how do we change that Mm. story? Because until we change it, then we have a lot of inequality across the ecosystem. So if we can reduce those inequalities, if we can deepen the collaborations, then I definitely believe that a lot can be achieved to the future that we want to see as an ecosystem in terms of growth, consistency, and also in terms of success stories and putting Africa on the map. Here, here. And to your point about 
Pazesha reaching its core mission, so which is fundamentally enabling other businesses. Are there any other aspects apart from what you've already mentioned in terms of funding, stakeholders playing their roles in regulation that systems builders like yours need in an enabling environment? Yeah, I think the key one, of course, is regulation. I think having a strong regulation frameworks from country to country, because we're talking about scale here, is very important. For example, Kenya has developed their own data protection laws, and, and we have already implemented those laws in our business. So when you go to a different country, they have their own data protection laws. So there needs to be harmonization of these policies, even from country to country. And so I think it's really important that those frameworks start to speak to each other. We start to embrace learnings of policies and really helping the scale conversations to happen. I think in terms of also collaborations, as I said earlier, we need to start seeing not just from a regulation point of view, from a private sector, public sector, but also from a startup sector. There is quite a lot of collaboration that needs to happen there, you know, banks, working with fintechs and so on, and many other collaborations that could happen as a result of building innovations in a way that benefits the entire value chain. So I think we just need to really provide collaborations, especially where private and public touch each other, and of course, the stakeholders that are involved in, in making that. And, and majority of these collaborations, style are not happening because, again, of issues of either policy, regulation, and so you'll find, because a bank is a regulated entity, they have certain ways that they operate. They might sometimes shy away from collaborating with a fintech that is governed by different policies or different regulation. So how do you connect those two for collaboration to happen, even from that level? I think also in terms of the education system in itself is, is a mess. I'll speak for Kenya. Of course, there's quite a lot of improvements, but I think it also starts there. You know, we need to start nurturing young entrepreneurs from an early age. And the way to, to develop that is impacting certain knowledge to young people at a very early stage, financial education, and helping them to understand the practicality of things when they come to the real life. So there's quite a lot of issues there that also could be following through in the entire value chain as a result of that system. And, and so if, if there's quite a lot of just alignment of that, and, and, and lastly, I will talk about just data. I think data is a key one, and I think data flows mm. from government, policymakers, to anyone who can be able to tackle this issue of information asymmetry, because it's not just the fintechs to do it. What is the credit bureau's role in ensuring data is shared amongst themselves so that we can reduce the siloed conversations of a credit history of an SME. You know, how do we share that data so that we have one picture, one source of truth for an SME? So there's going to be quite a lot of data consolidation, and I think this takes a lot of players. India has already built one repository for all the data. So I think there's quite a lot of countries, global countries, that African countries can learn from. So I think that's one of the key things, data and, and how that data is accessed, especially where public data exists in really helping to build credit scores for more businesses that are underserved. But also in terms of regulation, I think we've seen sandboxes. We were part of a sandbox. So 
I think that's one of the ways that an enabling environment can be created by just allowing people to innovate and giving them those testing environments to be able to do that, of course, in the right way, in a way that is measurable in terms of the learnings and the outcomes. And of course, eventually, if all the factors are put on the table and they are right and controls, then allowing those companies to scale and create more impact, I think, would be an amazing area, especially for policymakers. Excellent addition. So the space to innovate, creating a foundation for the next generation, managing data are all, regulation obviously, are all critical elements of creating an an enabling environment. So as you also know, what we're we're doing here is trying to crowdsource the soundtrack of (laughs) African tech in VC. So my last question to you is to ask you, what song or track you are recommending and why you selected it? Wow, that's a hard one. So I think I will go with which song. I like Nigerian music. So this is a hard one, Tayo, because almost all Nigerian musicians are my favorite. But if I have to choose, I will choose uh, Yemi Alade. What song? Um, hmm, don't know which song to choose for. Yeah, me. But I, I really like one of our recent songs, I think this year. It's called Rain. So I would recommend that. I really like it. I like the visual and the art and the dressing in that video. I love it. So Hilda, if we were recording in person, I would reach over and offer you an award. I don't actually have an award, <laughs> but I would find something that could serve as an award because you're actually the first person I've chatted to who's mentioned an African artist. So thank wow. you. Thank you for that. I mean, obviously all music is welcome, but I'm just <laughs> very happy that you mentioned African artists. And I'm even happier that that happens to be a Nigerian. <laughs> So maybe you get yeah. two awards and you're very strategic <laughs> in not jumping on the Wizkid versus Burna Boy uh, because I thought that's where mm. you were going. So this one is going to be contentious. <laughs> yes, no, I was being very careful because I, I almost mentioned uh, those people. I would have mentioned them if I had a good bottle of wine next to me because those are the songs maybe I would be dancing to. <laughs> I'll take it because in as much as they would have come for you, they might have come for me too. So <laughs> so we avoided oh, yeah. we avoided disaster. But Hilda, I, I have to thank you again for taking us on this fascinating ride through SME Finance. It was such a pleasure to have you. Speaking to you is always an insight-rich experience. So thank you so much for being on the show and for being our guest artist for track six. Thank you to everyone who's listening, and I hope you'll be back for track seven. You can find us everywhere you listen to podcasts and I hope you'll join us again.